this you're listening to now, Punk Theology. My name is Russ Shaw, Arthur, Derek, Chuck, John, Steve, and I on this show, season one. This is episode 45. The topic, Promises, Promises. Some questions that arise, why do we make promises? How do we react when promises are broken? Why do so many people have promises, right? Uh, Religion, the corporate world, uh, jobs, right? Your boss, your parents, authorities, promise stuff and sometimes something great Sean has come in looking the worst after dancing in a mosh pit at a music concert. Someone elbowed you, did they? Yes. Yeah, it was fine before, like it, it did blow up like quickly, and then I could see, but then now I can't really see. We have kind of this promise <clears throat> where if you work hard and get an education, you can live the American dream, right. man. About student loan debt and mm-hmm. how huge that's gotten everything, and then the cost of education's gone up, and we start talking about whether it's even worth it, mm-hmm. and we start plotting, you know, the, the ridiculous debt that my brother-in-law went into, like, finish law school was, you know, more than my house was worth when I yeah. first bought it, kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, Easy. We, we, you know, that, the, the, a lot of the millennials are starting to just reject that the American dream is even attainable anymore. Right. And worse than that, they're blaming the baby boomers for the way our economy works, which rightly they should because exactly. they've been in control of politics for and still decades now. Do you make promises to him? Or? I think it would, it would just be allowing for my own doubt to be av- available to my kids. Yeah. Yeah. Like, hey, Dad, are you sure that that's the way it is? Nope. No, not really. Yeah. Like, on this one, maybe 90%. Like, I'm pretty damn sure you should do it this way. That me trying to fill my void will ever succeed. Yeah, there's freedom in that. My, no, no is, serious. There's my freedom void in is that. my buddy now. But isn't there, isn't there freedom in that, though? Yeah. It's a comforting little void. As a Gen Xer, one of the things that I grew up believing, like halfway through high school, was that Social Security would be a bust and it would not mm-hmm. be there. like, yeah, like you know, more the, people the predict- believe in aliens than they do. Social Security will be there for them when they retire. That point. yeah, and, and you know, the, the glut of the baby boomers like cashing in was going to be such a huge. What promises have you made without thought of fulfilling the promise? The promise, because I grew up, it was the promise was to get something. I promise I will be better. You know, you could be, I promise I will do better. The reason it makes a good topic is that the the breaking of promises is hugely traumatic. Mm. And that's true. It's like a breaking of trust, right? Well, absolutely, because 
so trust is is a weird thing, and everybody knows it's really difficult to gain and really easy to lose. And searching and finding and going on creating, a maybe filling the void is healthy. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you, there's things you find that fill the void temporarily. Maybe that's what the void is there for—to be temporarily filled. Hey, something I wanted to say in this episode kicking it off is that, yes, this is a serious topic, but at the same time, we get kind of emotionally charged, and as friends, comedy tends to um, keep us at an even keel. So that's something to keep in mind. Listen, some of you aren't going to be ready for punk theology, all right? And, And that's okay. But I felt inclined to say that because in a day and age where comedians won't uh, do shows in colleges anymore because people get offended, uh, I felt it maybe appropriate to, well, I'll throw this out there. Here you go. This audio recording may include inappropriate references, excessive profanities, and potentially unsuitable material for younger children. There, you've been officially warned. So we're uh, talking about promises. I'll put this on Arthur's cigar box thing. We promises. We promises, promises the is the name of the episode. What is this episode? Forty-three, forty-four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially, yes, it is. It's kind of crazy. Actually. We're in the forties. I know, right? I'm in my forties. So am I. <laughs> yeah, I'm at the last fucking end of it, dude. Oh man, I'm getting old. Enjoy it. Oh, by the way, that uh, bubbling sound is our hookah. It's a hookah. It's going to be probably yeah. super fucking annoying we're not for everybody, probably, but we're yeah. probably not going to stop smoking it. I'm yeah. currently enjoying it very much. It's not annoying at all. Yeah. We're not passing around a water bomb. That is a hookah. Not that there's anything wrong with Wait, that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. It's, it's legal. perfectly legal in this state. Yeah. But this is some kind of like flowery tobacco. It's strawberry. It's strawberry tobacco. I have a hard time with it. I don't know. It's weird because I like those. I like those flavored cigars. But for some reason, the hookah for me is almost too fucking strong. Am I just a pussy or yeah, what? Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. <laughs> you're just too old. You're just too old. Yeah. Part of it, I'm getting over chest cold now, so I don't feel like smoking anything at all right now. Excuses aren't very popular. Chuck is catching it, I think. And you no, I, I found out today. 
I'm allergic to trees. You're allergic to trees? Yeah, that's what the doctor said. Oh, oh nice. My well, wife is too. Well, that's a lot of. That's a lot, right? That's a lot of things. So, currently, um, alder and cedar are in their uh, pollinating state. They're so splooging in the air. Yeah, so <laughs> they're, they're ejaculating all over Washington. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm allergic to cedar cum and. <laughs> Cedar ejaculate. <laughs> oh man, makes Chuck uncomfortable. Just trying to trigger the fuck out of everybody. So. Um, yeah, so I sound uh, real congested. And so you're you, and so you've, you've, been been snorting, you've been snorting. Well, How come? You don't have that yeah. beard. Oh, no. Chuck so, has shaved off the beard it too. Might be. There's this is audio. We can't see Chuck. You used to have a filter. You used yeah. to have a filter. Yeah. That's right. Yes. A tree yes. pollen filter. So I lost 30 years of my life. You know, and two pounds of beard. And two pounds of beard. Um, <laughs> I had some beard on Sunday. No, Saturday. One of those days. I don't know. This guy had this just epic wizard style beard. Magnificent. Stuck out. Yeah, you know, no. just the right. Angle. Yeah. It's like, oh fuck, gotta do that again. <laughs> I like James Harden. I watched a Rockets game last night. James Harden's got an epic yes. beard. Just through like, the beard. That's right. So what are we talking about? You also oh, lost from like, ten years. Yes. Like you look. Yeah, like, I look like. Well, that's why I. You know, yeah. Did it because. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's another Speaking joke that nobody on the no, podcast will get. No, no, so what is it? We gotta unpack it. There's some listener who's going, "What? Yeah, I'm not right. You want to talk about the hots for Chuck? That's right. Oh shit! Yeah. You had a modern family kind of week. You should tell that story. Is it too much? Putting him on the spot. Never mind. No, think, oh yeah. So we yeah we can go into that. Okay. Um, we're just gonna ignore the topic. This is that time where we, we normally go right into it. I had this great segue for not only are the landings rough, so are the takeoffs. <laughs> yeah. Shit, right? We've been taxiing for two hours. Anyway, so heavy winds. We've been blown off course. You got dinner with your ex? Yeah. Okay. So we'll back up a little bit. So my. My birthday's in January, and then my ex's birthday's in February. My oldest son's birthday's in March, and so it's just lined yeah. up with birthdays. So I got the kids, and it's like, okay, and they're like, oh, we want to, you know, get mom this for her birthday, and blah, blah, blah. It's like, ah, shit, like, all right, I don't really want to spend any money for this, because that's my ex-wife, but they're my kids, and, yeah, you know, so it's we their go, mom. And yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. since her mom, we get the birthday present, and then I get a call from the school, and you know, this was... So last week, um, and you, the oldest is sick, and you gotta come pick him up. It's like, ah, oh, fuck. Okay, go and get him. I collect the little one too, because why well, come back to the school twice? So I just yarded the little one out of school. And we're sitting in the car, <clears throat> and they're like, oh, it's Chris's birthday. I'm like, oh. And who's Chris? Chris would be my ex wife's wife. Okay. Oh. And it's like, you know, I'm like, I really don't give a fuck if <laughs> it's her birthday or not. Like, so, I, you know, I looked at both of them, and I'm like, oh, well, good for her. You know, like, happy birthday to Chris. Well, can we call her? Okay. Like, I, you know, so I sent her a text message, like, are you, you know, are you busy? The kids want to call and talk to you. She's like, yeah, yeah. So I yarded the phone back to them, and they're talking, singing happy birthday and shit. And all of a sudden, it's like, hey, why don't we take you out for your birthday tonight? 
Like, no, no, not at all. Like, shut up. Like, stop. Stop <laughs> talking. Like, no, that's not appropriate whatsoever. So we ended up at Olive Garden that night, sitting at the dinner table, and they come over, and they're like, oh, like, whose birthday is it? You know, oh, yeah, it's Chris's. Oh, yeah, and it's her birthday in, like, two days. So here I am sitting at the dinner table with my ex-wife, her wife, my two kids, celebrating my ex-wife's wife's birthday. That's and awesome. Modern family. Modern family. Modern so it's very progressive of you. It's hashtag Ross. <laughs> and friends. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, but it's, it's very, cool though because when I first met you, you were pretty like I don't think you had done any of that shit whatsoever. No, I'm surprised I didn't kill her. <laughs> I mean, it's no, I was a very yeah. well, I was angry, um, and yeah. you know, still working through my own shit. Yeah, yeah, to realize that there's more to it than just being all pissed off. And, yeah. And then the therapist that led the group that we went to Monday said, "Now all you need is a 20 year old girlfriend." <laughs> yes. And you were like, I, well. Yeah, right. I, was like, I was like, well. His luck would happen. She, well, it was great, too. She, was like, she looks at me and she's like, please tell me she's at least 18. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, she's more than that. But she's not really my girlfriend. I, you know, I asked her out. She yeah. responded. Is this the one that you ordered from the Philippines? Uh, no, she comes from <laughs> Thailand. <laughs> she's Russian. She's from Thailand. I'm kidding. You met her on that Wait, Mexico she's from Christian Thailand? trip. Are you sure she's a she? No, I haven't checked under the hood yet. <laughs> no, but seriously, you, you met her at that kind of Christian retreat thing? Yeah, when I went to feeding Mexico. Mexico. No, it wasn't feeding orphans. Mexico. You were Orf- feeding orphans. Mexicans and orphans. <laughs> yes, went to... Um, Two weeks ago, I went to Rosarito, Mexico, um, and hung out at two different orphanages. Um, Is that where they make the refried beans, by the way? Rosarito? Is that... Yeah, no, I don't know. Just, a brand just, of... Just, anyway, just, sorry. Just, go ahead. Come on, just... Come on, man. Is this like Digest Chuck tonight? It is. Uh, okay. Anyway, no, but I wanted to get into... Go ahead. Finish. What were you going to say? Finish? Yeah, go ahead and finish. Finish about the tree cum or finish about the the free fried fucking beans. Or I'm, let's talk about or Mexico. You're let's talk about promises. Yeah. I have I have a question. Chuck has a question. Chuck has a question. You want to talk about promises tonight? So yeah, let's talk about promises. There's this kid that I work with. Um, he's an interesting person. He's a city boy. Uh, he's worse than I am when it comes to city boys. He's very sheltered. So Seattle is. Proposing, or they're almost final stages of having an NHL team. Right today, they pre-sold season tickets, and so basically, it's you get to reserve a spot to buy season tickets in the future for a team that doesn't exist. Correct. Yeah. So this kid paid five hundred dollars a seat, and he bought two of them. And his brother bought two of them. I think his brother bought two of them. So you're talking about two grand for the opportunity. To buy season tickets for a team that doesn't exist. Yeah. That there might. It's probably going to be shit for 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> I said to him, like, well, when yeah, when are they forecasting exist. to be here? Oh, in two years. So the 2020 season. It's like, man, that's a big fucking promise. Yeah. And you're, you threw out $1,000 for this. they get the money for back if the team doesn't yes. come to fruition? Supposedly. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. 26,000 people. Wow. Correct. Do you know how many five hundred bucks? So it's like a big GoFundMe, basically. Yeah. Right? So do you know how many seats are in the kingdom? Seventeen thousand. 
Kingdom doesn't exist anymore. Oh, not Kingdom. Key Arena. Key Arena. There we go. Zero check. Zero. Zero. You blew it up. So there's only 17,000 seats, but yet they, quote, pre-sold 25,000 season tickets. Why does that work, you dumb fucks? Like... <laughs> Don't yuck their yum. Yes, yeah, I should not. It yuck sounds their like yum. a. It sounds like a Ponzi scheme. Is there any any promise that you've ever believed that you would shell out five hundred bucks or a thousand dollars? That's a good dude, question. That is a good question. I mean, so we all talk about put your money where your mouth is, right? Or you look at where you spend your money. That's what. That's where your beliefs are. That's where you. Yeah. Your allies are, you know, it's numbers don't lie. There's no. some churches I gave too much money to when I attended them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah me too. Honestly, that's a thing for me. Like, yeah, you can plug me into it. Well, okay. If you, if you give too much to the church, I'll take some for you. That's actually been something I, I have struggled with. Is like, why give money to a church? I know there's operating costs. You know, the pastor's salary because he's got to eat too or whatever. But um, Derek and I were just talking about this. It's like. Just in terms of like a dollars and cents thing, there's better things you could do with your money in terms of actually helping people, feeding people, than yeah. give your money to a church. Uh-huh. Well, it's my boss. He does uh, the Children's Bird Recovery Unit. In, oh, cool. I want to say it's here in Everett. And then there's a clinic in Stanwood. It's a free clinic. Nice. And so it's, a, you know, instead of giving to the church, he gives those things. That's awesome, man. They deal with the money way better than the church would. Yeah. I supported the battered women's shelter here in Everett um, quite a few times over the years. But Derek, you this is kind of your baby, right? Like why, <clears throat> promises. why did promises come to your mind? So why did you want to talk about it? was just something that I've been thinking about recently. Mostly, it's almost phrasing it from the point of childhood promises. Like I think everybody's got these things that they grew up in a culture where the culture very strongly either promised or insinuated that this is what the future is going to do be like. If you just do this this way, I guarantee it's going to turn out okay for you in the end. Just how many, you know, so me growing up in a conservative, um, under, you know, pretty strict conservative Christianity, um, there was a lot of things that, that uh, as I got older, either appeared to be bullshit or just, you know, I decided we're pretty much flat out bullshit. Um, the biggest, I mean, it's funny that this is the biggest one for me, but this was such a big part of, part of my childhood was the evolution thing. Mm. Like, and I was just, like, I used to hear people all the time, you know, people in my, in my private school growing up who were into science, but also really into creationism, mm-hmm. you know, be like, just wait until we decode the DNA, mm-hmm. right? It's going to prove us all right, and they did it. They got and a little it, on and it proved them so wrong. It, it's fascinating like, the yes, of the human genome project. The absolute mm-hmm. opposite of that. And so, and that's like, I don't know, there's just, it's kind of, it's deeply disturbing, right? Like, like this is a keystone of the identity of, yeah, of your culture and your belief growing up. And we're, like, we're guaranteeing it. Yeah. Right? And and not only is it not a period, like, you know, not only is it maybe just more nuanced than they thought, but it's just flat wrong. Like, like, sorry. Like, doesn't work like you promised it would work. And there's just so many other instances that I've been thinking of about my childhood. Well, name uh, one of the, the, the studies that really kind of blew that apart for you, like a, an evolution study or... Yeah, I mean, mostly just starting to read about 
Yeah, uh, them deconstructing the genome and being able to tie people together genetically and follow things uh, genetically, you know, and not just humans, but uh, uh, different species. And uh, we were able to, like, back into history. Yeah, it was about... By genetic migration. I think it was 2004 or 2006. Francis Collins, who's a Christian, was a part of the Human Genome Project. And when they sequenced the human genome, one of the... Uh, revelatory things in it is there was never a time on the planet where there were less than 10,000 modern humans existing at any one time basically just obliterating you know like a literal Adam and Eve in terms of you know there's ways I guess you could work around it or think about it but but yeah that's that was one of the things is yeah there was never a time where there were less than 10,000 modern humans on the planet because otherwise like it like our genetics would have been too unstable to uh, to populate so, so, and uh, more than that, if evolution is true, you should be able to create like a family tree mm-hmm. that where because things are constantly splitting off from each other. So, like a real, like a human's family tree, you should have these branches all over the place, and DNA should prove that. And they decode DNA, and it was exactly like you would predict mm-hmm. if you were trying to establish like a tree going back in time of all these things being related. The things that you'd expect to be related to each other, uh, you know, just from appearance and typing, but also what we found in the, you know, archaeological studies and that right. type of thing, um, uh, those lined up perfectly with the DNA. Like, couldn't have not been a closer match, and that would not exist under a creationist model. Right. Like, well, what about like? Not have. See, because this has never really DNA. rocked my world that much. Because, I mean, you look at the book of of Genesis, and there's the part between Cain and Abel, and they have this fight, and then all of a sudden. The Bible talks about this city, right? Like this city is mentioned. It was like, wait, so Adam and Eve were the first people, and they're and then Cain and Abel are the first kids, and there's a city. Like, what the fuck is the city? They live like, like hundreds of years, right? Oh yeah, and see, we're banging they live hundreds of years. Well, but see, that's a, that's a girl. So, so that's a leap. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Back it up. Back. It's about the fucking promises. It's not about, <laughs> yeah. not about fucking right. Genesis. So it's not right. about Genesis. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. Right. We can get interpretation. How? How did that breaking down affect you? Like realizing that it had an impact. Right. Yeah. How did? What was the fallout of that? Like failure of the promise that you were told. Like, and um, I mean, it, it, promise might be a little bit of a stretch, but basically, you were presented with the truth, and that truth kind of got shattered. I, well, I think for Derek, because we were friends, we, we, Derek and I were becoming friends, you know, years ago. I I was more of an evolutionist than you were when we met, and. I felt safe. D- Derek and I had good conversations, and there was trust there. But but it's been an evolution. It sounds like, or was it like a yeah, honestly, lightning bolt moment? So the descent has been a lot. Descent. It's an ascent. The whatever. <laughs> the deconstruction <laughs> has been a lot more. The process has been a lot more painful than the yeah. final conclusion. Yeah. Like by the time I realized it, it didn't really bother me. But it definitely had a lot of resistance. Um, because the implications are life happens through death right there's a lot of yeah and and just and I also think you know in retrospect I was really concerned about the implications of me believing that well, I mean just basic culturally and yeah, you know, yeah. my, well, my family saying that type of thing and also like was my salvation on the line mm-hmm. and like could I go to could I still go to this church that I go to and wow. like all those worries that turned out to be pretty meaningless in the end 
The right. first time I met Derek's dad, I said something like the Noah's Ark story was, was probably a myth, and he asked me if I was a Christian. That was pretty awesome. Well, and I, uh, I like Derek's dad. His dad's cool. But, <laughs> but, I mean, he had a smile on his face when he asked me. Like, are you a Christian? Are you even saved? Like, yeah, well, I, <laughs> so I think there's been... Yeah. Yeah. Saved from what? Saved from what? <laughs> I think there's been this... Uh, there's been kind of... So here in the United States, we have kind of this promise where if you work hard and get an education, you can live the American dream. Right. And, and there's a lot white. of... What's that? And you're white. Yeah. And you're male. Yeah, and you're male. Um, Still like 40% of the population, which is pretty damn good. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and to a large degree, that has been true, but it's also been changing. So, um, you know, as a Gen Xer, one of the things that I grew up believing like halfway through high school was that social security would be a bust and it would not mm-hmm. be there. like yeah, it's like you know more the, people the predict- believe in aliens than they do social security will be there for them when they retire that point. yeah and and you know the, the glut of the baby <laughs> boomers like cashing in was going to be such a huge toll yeah. yeah toll on american economics that you know it just would dissolve and not work and and the politicians would fuck us cuz you know they can't they do yeah. So so that so that was one one aspect where like it started with with that, but then I think that 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 got further with the millennials. Like the millennials just plain old don't like we. They're not counting. Out. Yeah, like we bought into what the baby boomers were selling. Like right. As Gen Xers, we're like, okay, we still if we work hard, we're still going to do it. We just have to we just have to take care of ourselves in our old age. The government's not going to be there to help us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the millennials are basically like, no, the whole paradigm. And the way I see it, that's why we talk so much here about about student loan debt and mm-hmm. how huge that's gotten everything and then the cost of education's gone up and we start talking about whether it's even worth it mm-hmm. and we start plotting, you know, like, what happens in your life if you just leave high school and go to, like, a trade school or, or, or apprentice as a tradesman and work and start making money, like, really early versus, like, extending your money-making... Four or five years. Delaying your money-making by going to school for four, six, eight years, depending on what you're doing. Are you even going to make it back, you know, and... The, the ridiculous debt that my brother-in-law went into like finish law school was you know more than my house was worth when I yeah. first bought it kind of stuff um, easy <laughs> and so we we you know that the the a lot of the millennials are starting to just reject that the American dream is even attainable anymore right. and worse than that they're blaming the baby boomers for the way our economy works which rightly they should because exactly. they've been in control of politics for. And still decades now. I've had that conversation promise. three times this week. The baby boomers need to die. Sorry, Steve. <laughs> Steve said boomer. Sorry, Steve's Steve. in the room. But, but Steve, come on. So nice. Steve, 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 Steve's healthy. Look at Steve. Steve's, Steve's a healthy already, guy. Already millennial. You can you can go and yeah, you can go to school now and you can get a degree yeah. and then you can work at Starbucks. Well, is yeah, it liberal, that bad? Which is a step up yeah, above McDonald's. Liberal arts isn't going to get used to be a liberal arts. So. Yeah. I have a liberal arts degree and I make more money than most science majors I know. I know I might be the exception to the rule, but you're not well, a liar. Touche. Touche. So let's what? take it. What promises have you made without thought of fulfilling the promise? Mm. Yeah, like just I can. I promise you, I'll be. Well, the, the simplest one would be marriage vows. I promise to love you. Yeah. Yeah, that's some bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not following. No, that's well, a... Have you made a promise? I'm totally following. So, like, the, to death do you part thing? Yeah. Or? That you... Have you promised something 
without thought of the fulfillment of the promise. The promise, because I grew up, it was the promise was to get something. I promise I will be better. I'll be a better kid. Yeah, oh, like so when you're I'll little, being disappointed. That was so you didn't get your ass beat as bad. Yeah. yeah. Right. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or I promise yeah, I'll try harder in bad. school. Still got your ass. My teacher said, you know, you could be, I promise I will do better. That's something I wrote down about promises and, and something that Kierkegaard said about freedom. That freedom is a sort of dizziness, right? And I said that our promise is a way to save us from the dizziness of our own freedom. And there's some of that in like childhood, I think, because I was kind of the same way. I can be better, you know. I'll be. I promise next time, yeah. I won't. You know, I won't do that. And I always did it again. You know. And then you start to question your faith. Like I must be just going to hell. And then I heard a guy talk about predestination, and I'm like, oh, oh, like that. That's my really dark aha moment. Like, oh, I was never saved in the first place. I promise I won't masturbate ever again. Yeah, yeah. and to there the you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, dude. I am. So another part of me has just been processing, like, why did those promises exist? What actually were those things? Yeah. And a lot of it, like, I. I feel like a lot of it was my generation, my old, the older generation of, or my, the generation of my parents looking at like a, like a problem through a religious framework yeah. and saying, this seems like it will work. We have no way to back up that it will actually work, but it seems to make logical sense. We don't have any better answers. So we're just going to invest 100% in this and assume, not, and, and not just see if it will work, but like believe 100% that it will work. But it won't actually affect us that much. It will affect the younger generation. So we're going to take this ideal that we have in our head and imbue it into our children and see if it works. And, and it, they called it Promise Keepers. Right. Hey, tickets. I went to a Promise Keepers. I did too. You did too? <laughs> I did too. I'm a Promise Keeper. I know a guy who's a Promise Keeper speaker he was. Derek, how are you trying to not do that with your own children. Do you make promises to them? Or? I think it would, it would just be allowing for my own doubt to be av- available to my kids. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Like, hey, Dad, are you sure that that's the way it is? Nope. No, not really. Yeah. Like, on this one, maybe 90%. Like, I'm pretty damn sure you should do it this way. But... A margin for error. Right, but you're <laughs> not absolutely going to hell if you, you know... And that's the language that I grew up with. Is those absolutes? Yeah, so this oh, I was is too. Yeah, this you. is right. This is wrong. Yeah. I know this for sure. How do you know it for sure? Because the Bible says so. Yep. Like no room for doubt. Not even an inch yeah. for any doubt. And that, yeah. And and, yeah, and if you're gonna make a promise, it? if you're gonna make a <laughs> if you're gonna make a promise like that, like you better be pretty goddamn yeah, fucking no sure. Well, well the, right? the the safety in that. And if you think about it, like a promissory note, uh, like a loan, right? When they when they when they do that, and my parents did the same thing. They cite the Bible. They're they're basically putting God on the contract as the guarantor. Right. So they're absolved of any responsibility. So in your question, Steve, about what promises <coughs> you make without any thought for God died having for to me. keep it, when you're making God responsible for your promise, then you don't have to think about that because you're so confident that you understand what the Bible has to tell us. 
that mm. you're not really making the promise. You're just well, communicating. I think that would be a really well, cool piece of... Well, the Bible tells you not to prom make any promises. I think that would be a really cool piece just of Christian art, by the way. <laughs> a really cool piece of Christian art would be Jesus going like this, and then like at the bottom it would say, don't drag me into this. I like how you're miming something for our podcast again, Russ. Yes. So, <laughs> that's our t-shirt. That'd be our first t-shirt. So this one always strikes home for me because one of the ways in which my mother engaged me in parenting was she constantly was part of women's Bible studies and studying the Bible and just all into that. And where how that translated into her parenting was... She wanted to nail home what she called the promises of God. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I heard that one too. Um, and so there were there were all these you know quotes, yeah, stuff. I will never leave you. I'm sure, there was a refrigerator you. magnet somewhere. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and so you know, one of the things that was interesting was when <laughs> my when my faith crumbled. Um, part of that, and I haven't had this conversation with my mother because I don't have the relationship in which to have it. But mom, that was bullshit. Yeah. Like, no. God definitely left me. And your protest that that's not true? No. I would say her God left you. Absolutely, her God left you. My mom's God left me and my mom. <laughs> but that's, that's, it was just all bullshit. Piggybacking on, on that a little bit, I have found the work of Peter Rollins to be really helpful in my reconstruction with the way he synthesizes philosophy and aspects of theology and existentialism, but that idea that uh, it, it's a common human experience that we all lack. There's all a void, you know, yeah. i.e. I, original sin or, or whatever you yeah. want to call it. There's a void. That's that, that's a common human experience. And I think that feeds that promise, too, because I think promises... Let me finish. So, <laughs> so, I'll back to Let me hold this yeah, thought. Yeah, hold that thought. <laughs> Write it down. <laughs> so... <laughs> so the promise that, that you were given uh -huh. is that Christ, the one without the void, fills your void. Right. And you realize that's not true. <clears throat> mm. That's not true. Because even after you've accepted that or bought into that, the, the void, the lack, the, continues. The lack is, yeah. And, oh, well, it's sanctification, oh, it's progress, oh, you're not perfect, you're never going to be, but, you know, you're, you're getting closer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but, but let's, be, let's be really fucking honest for a minute, okay? Yeah. I think it really can make the void feel like it goes away for a little while. For a time. Yeah. For a time. But then when it doesn't, you have to change things, add things. Yeah. Just uh, like heroin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Yeah. Yes, exactly. Or like Reverend Wendy said, it's like a shovel and you're just shoveling more something into that void to feel like it's getting full of somethingness. I so I'm I'm engaged in, in you know, the idea that he's putting forth. It's interesting to me that it's just interesting. I'm exploring it. it is what if the you know, Christianity or the Jesus story is there to break the cup as opposed to fill the cup. Right. You know, it kind of because of radical grace and radical acceptance, you no longer need the void filled. So now instead of a contained void, you have the a of this. <laughs> so it got better. bigger, yeah. <laughs> I don't know though, because you just be, no, because because you're accepted. I'm just following your analogy. Well, it's, it's not me. It's space, Derek. It, yeah, it, it just it, mimics our world. It's being okay with it though, and being in resting in acceptance that you're you know loved and. and, and what he also proposes is you need, like I think what we do here, is you need healthy and safe community where you can just really be yourself. 
That's, en- that's encouraging to me because then now I have no worry that me trying to fill my void will ever succeed. Yeah, there's freedom in that. My no, no is, serious. There's my freedom void in is that. my buddy now. But isn't, there, isn't there freedom in that, though? Yeah. It's a comforting little void. <laughs> but it, but isn't, it, isn't it more honest? Uh, yeah, I think it's more honest. Yeah, no, I think it's good. I mean, kind of. I mean... Steve, well, what do you think? Because you're, you're doing I'm, atheism for Lynn. I think it is freedom. And that's for me, has been... Um, Bless you. You're allergic to some of the bullshit, aren't you? <laughs> yes. You got a bullshit, bullshit up your nose. <laughs> Something like that. Is yeah. embracing the... You need to make room I don't boy. know. Yeah. And I'm okay now with I don't know. Yeah. That's probably with the week and a half, well, it's two weeks yesterday, that I've been on this course. Uh, that's probably been the biggest thing and is I'm okay with I don't know now. Which before I wouldn't. I mean, you want the void filled. You want the void filled. But it's, maybe it's better to be honest. That there's always going to be the void. But yet you still try to fill it. Well, that's what I'm saying, though. Uh, the, I, I think the hope is o- over time you don't. You just accept it. Maybe it's a yeah. void that is designed mm-hmm. yeah. to be plugged temporarily by other things that you find interesting. Maybe the void is healthy. Maybe yeah. the void is what keeps you interested and doing. And, and searching and finding and going on creating a maybe filling the void is healthy yeah well I mean yeah I mean you, you f- there's things you find that fill the void temporarily maybe that's what the void is there for to be temporarily filled the best the thing is it's a void the, anything fits right? if the, it's true but if the void's not there then you die at the age of 33 right Oh, with addictions or no? Just because on the cross. No, oh, uh, I'm sorry, I missed that no, entirely. That was Twenty-seven was the addiction. Yeah, that's a yeah. Yeah, twenty-seven. That's right, that, that's yeah, yeah, Kurt Cobain thing. But oh, uh, yeah, but that too. The promise, <laughs> the promise is, you know, you lack X, and no, Jesus fills X. Yes. And let's. That's just my experience and what I've seen in myself and in others. That just doesn't seem true. And I think if you can get guys in particular to be butt face naked honest mm-hmm. they will tell you yeah you're right yeah but they can't because they can't. of everything we've talked about because the promise and they got to believe the promise yes. for it to work or whatever yes. i'm yeah. accepted in this group when i believe the promise that's kind of what you were saying right about about <coughs> being in a group and not and being able to be yourself yeah i mean i think that's what i have a hard time not anymore with anybody mm. that that was definitely kind of part of my deconstruction you know, it's just that some places it just works better than others. Right. Yeah. I think sometimes the people that are afraid of admitting that the void are there are fighting something other. I think, I'm, so I'm going back to Viktor Frankl's thing about meaning. Mm. I think a lot of these people at some point in their life lost complete sight of, it, of meaning. Yeah. Um, and and then they found a religion that gave them meaning, and and so, so you're trying to find the void with meaning. What? Are you trying to define the void as the need for meaning? I don't know if I'm trying to. I'm maybe suggesting explaining it. Explaining how exploring meaning that idea that, that the void is just the functional yeah, the need. Meaning. Yeah, and almost like it's, that's awesome. So, yeah. so religion he, creates a functional meaning. So Rollins talks about. Go he likes it. to use the word lack. Yeah, lack. Um, yeah, lack is a weird word. But you know, he, as a philosopher, like he, 
I think he's leaving it open to like you kind of get to decide. You get to decide. You know, like if your void is, it's it's almost like what you're obsessed with fixing about yourself or your life or your situation. You know, if you're single and alone and lonely, your void is being alone. Right. You know, if 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 you know if you have self hatred for mistakes you've made and you're filling that with that <clears throat> void with alcohol, you know, you're you're trying to fill a void of shame and so I think that that lack I don't know if it can be totally tied down to meaning. I think it can have different forms. And I think that's absolutely one of them is living a meaningless life can feel shitty. And I think but I also think that meaning can be or at least contrived meaning can be the thing you're trying to fill the lack with. I think yeah, and the meaning thing even is too small a word. I was doing a lot of thinking on the, the idea that our, the reason that even you could call it the void that we're talking about is that you're capable of imagining things constantly being able to go better than they are. Yeah. And it's constantly, you have this constant little bit of disappointment and damage and trauma in you that, that you can see a path where things are better and the reality consistently fails to meet up. Mm-hmm. Uh, every, you know, and, and there's just this little running consciousness in the back of your head constantly they can't really get away from that this is not... I can imagine things going better than this. And that's... that's Sometimes it's humorously, <sighs> catastrophically right. missing that. And that's the exact... Mark. That starts to border on the exact time of language that Christians use all the time. Of like this hint in the back of their head that there's something more, right? Like yeah. that's very Christian language. Um, it's even in the Matrix, right? Right. That splinter in your mind driving you mad. Right. Yeah. You two, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Yeah, yeah. But that's a beautiful song. I think that's an honest song. It's even a gospel song. Like like Bono would say that that was my first gospel. Or Michael so. W's, I'm looking for a reason. Sorry. I, I love it when John brings into Michael W. Smith. I, 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 I do it's that like on my, it's, it's like my favorite trait. Every podcast, it's Michael W. Smith. <laughs> you know friends are friends forever. I, I broke out in that one. The Lord out there. Well, I, and so, you know, I think there's freedom in just acknowledging that there's the lack, and if you just stop trying to fill it, Maybe that's better than trying to fill. That's it. what we should have. We should have Wendy. I wonder if Wendy would come into the group because that's some of the stuff that she talks about. Like she does full time ministry to use that word right now. But in in the main the main crux of her message is that like you're not lacking anything. That you have and you have it all. You have it's enough all there right now. Now let's let's explore that, and that's what she does well, as, a, as a counselor. It's something I I heard you know. <laughs> like uh, like Rollins was talking about St. Paul and some of the, you know, even St. Paul employs some of this language with law and you don't get rid of the law by um, by just doing away with it. You It's fulfilled through love, right? Yeah. And if love fulfills the law, well, love doesn't have prohibitions. Love yeah. is, it, well, it's from the heart. It flows from the heart. So all of a sudden that like, invites Jim more Henderson freedom. Jim Henderson says a uh, Love changes the rules. It absolutely changes the rules. Yeah, yeah. It changes everything. But then it also it gives you freedom to like, I don't know. Maybe you can stop white knuckling it through life and just yeah. respond, respond, not react, but respond to things out of out of love, albeit imperfectly. That might be the way forward. Yeah. I don't know. 
So I heard a story recently of a. It was a story about a, a Navy captain who was had a lot of experience in a submarine that he was working in, and he knew everything about how it worked. And then he got promoted and transferred to being in charge of a, a new submarine. And the difficult part about this commission was that it was the worst performance submarine in the entire U.S. Navy in terms of meeting like all its readiness standards and all the metrics that the Navy used to measure like how well functioning one of their ships is. And so he goes on board and he had come from a place where he was leading from a position of complete knowledge of the boat he was on. And he tried to exert that in a boat he didn't know anything about. And this came to a huge head at one point when he was doing a test where he shut off the nuclear reactor to test how his team would deal with the problem. And so they switched over their electric mode, and then he gave the order to go to two-thirds throttle on their electric engines, which was going to drain the batteries faster and put more pressure on the team to get the nuclear reactor back up and running um, because they'd run out of power sooner. And... Uh, Whoever the guy is that then you've seen the submarine movies before, they repeat the captain's orders. Says two thirds ahead, and then nothing happens. And the captain is looking through the periscope and sees that we're not going any faster. And he looks at the gauges and he asks the helmsman, "Helmsman, did you receive my order?" "Yes, yes, captain, I did." "Why did you not execute my order, captain?" The electric engine throttle does not have a two-thirds setting. <laughs> he was giving orders that just didn't apply. Right. right. And for me, that resonated with the way that the Bible's laws apply 2,000 years later. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I would say how some people interpret those laws. Because I've, I've been in groups of Bible studies and stuff like that where people would throw out certain things, and, and they haven't lived my life. And I've had, like, I've done things other, most Christians wouldn't, haven't done. I mean, I've, I've done some, I've been involved in some pretty dark shit. And so when I sat in a room with people who just kind of threw out, you know, these kind of moral shoulds and ought tos, and I, I, it just triggered the fuck out of me. And I go, oh, well, you know, and I would and I would throw things out almost as a way to see if I belonged. A lot of this was going to to AC three, and sure, but you you can be as Christian as you want to be, but the Bible's very clear on a lot of things. Like what? Like like really? I don't really think it's clear. clear on anything. That's what part well, of my, the, my is, Jesus is today. incredibly clear. There's something about divorce and remarriage and. Well, that well, well wait a sec, though. That, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, so, no, no, I'm going to keep going. Okay. Uh, <laughs> women should keep their heads covered in church and not speak. Pretty plain language, right? Like, sure, that was can, more Paul, but go yeah, on. It's Paul, yeah, right, it is. I'm, I said the Bible. To oh start. yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, yeah. I said Jesus. Then I'm like, I'm moving on yeah. to other other things. Um, so there's there's a lot of laws that we can point to. The the New Testament is very clear on its position on homosexuality. Sure, I understand a lot of arguments about how liberally minded thinking Christians interpret that today and what homosexuality was in that era and what they were addressing, but the reality is it's it's, it's very clear. And my point is it, it fits like those captain's orders when he came from a place where he knew everything to a place where he didn't. Okay, I gotcha. And, and the flip side of that was he, Captain McKay, turned that sub from the worst performing sub in the Navy at the time to the best performing sub 
ever in the U.S. Navy history. And one of the things that he did to change that was he realized his leadership style had to change. And he, that, that for those, the phraseology that he struck from his crew's vocabulary was permission. Mm. So in, in, in the military, a lot of times they would ask, Captain, permission to submerge. And then the captain would say, permission granted. He changed it to an entire vocabulary of intent. Gotcha. So in other words, he knew he didn't have the expertise to command like he needed to be able to because he didn't understand everything about the new sub. And so what he wanted to do was rely on the expertise of the people that were under his command. And so he changed it to requests presented in the form of intent so that they could say, I intend to do this. I intend to submerge. And then the you ever heard of a proceed with submerging. And so he, he got away from permission, which is kind of like the way that people engage what they can do in the world as a right. Christian. It's like, I have to follow the law, and everything it doesn't cover, I have permission to do, kind of. They're still caught up in law. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And and instead, they say it's grace, they he say transforms it's everything law. to the yeah, best yeah. performing crew ever by moving to an area of, I trust my crew, and... I'm going to let them build their actions on intent rather than permission. Right. And that's where Derek and I were talking about Matthew 5. Because Matthew 5 just blows all of that out of the water. And it even includes that part about divorce. You know, I mean, Jesus talks about that in Matthew 5. You even look at a woman with lust in your eyes. I mean, he raises the bar so high that all these guys who are kind of like that captain who say... Oh, you want to be sinless? Here's what you need to do. You just need to obey the Ten Commandments. And then Jesus says, "It's like it's a, it's demonstrating absurdity by being absurd." And then he ends it with, "So everybody's just a sinner. Be perfect. Fantastic. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> in a cultural context, there are no good boys. In, uh, yeah. About divorce, Jesus' concern was actually for the protection of women in the context of the ancient Near East because people would divorce their like wives as a problem. No, it, it actually is, though. Well, there's no actually is. <laughs> well, okay, everything's <laughs> relative. That's how you like to interpret it. <laughs> like uh, no, it actually makes sense. People would... Just and you sense. like to interpret it that way while other people like to interpret it another way. Okay. So that triggers me. <clears throat> What's that? Well, I'm not saying the Bible clearly says... Because this makes sense, it's true. Mm. That really bothers me. That was or trying me. to know what Jesus and meant that or something. Was a lot yeah, of my childhood. years ago. Mm. This is a lot of my childhood. This makes sense, therefore it's true. No, 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 no. Like, first of all, like, logically that doesn't work at all. Well, I'm pushing back against divorce being clear where right. it's... I think the human be, brain is able to make sense of anything that it wants to do. It's able to connect, rationalize, yeah. or whatever. Well, and and yeah. very, very. We have very flexible. And how much of that may be uh, influenced by an interpretation of someone else who said, pointing back to the Old Testament? Because I've heard what you're talking about too. Like, like uh, men Matthew would divorce, 10, their, men would Ma- divorce their wives, yeah, yeah. leave them without any livelihood. Yeah, and then he points to Deuteronomy them, so. or something like that, and it, it is very much like that, where we where they treated women as property. Right. Yeah. Well, it's the thing with coveting, right? It's like, yeah, yeah. don't covet your neighbor's wife. Well, why? Because that's his property, and you know. Right. Yeah. Well, that's what it is. Back then, we you know, in the Old Testament, when women could go to the church if they were having their period because they were unclean. That's it's super. Yeah, it's super that makes sense. Up. Yeah, yeah, There's yeah. some universals like murder or stealing. Well, I mean, to know, be fair, but, some lady showed up dripping once and it just ruined the yeah, whole thing. It smelled bad. <laughs> they oh. didn't have enough. They didn't have bleach back then. <laughs> oh, some guy just oh, got oh, the sun. The circles are just got super strong. <laughs> oh fuck! 
Steve left. That's okay, because <laughs> <laughs> the baby boomer said, fuck you guys, get the hell out of here, talking about a bunch of fucking sinners. Motherfuckers. No, I, uh... Shit, you guys just go over the top. I love it. I love it too much. Space dust. Okay, so let's go back to the concept of of promises. Okay. I, I think that the the reason it makes a good topic is that the the breaking of promises is hugely traumatic. Mm. And that's true. It's like a breaking of trust, right? Well absolutely because so trust is is a weird thing and everybody knows it's really difficult to gain and really easy to lose. Uh, what so and we have also this idea of there's inherent promises. Like, you don't have to say, like, I promise. You know, like when you were a kid and you tell your friend you're going to do something and he's like, do you promise? Do you, like, pinky promise? Pinky swear. Yeah. And, you know, and so there's, like, that level of, like, I need your assurance. But there's also, like, a level of inherent promise or inherent truth because trust is built off of exchanging truth. And if I'm talking to you and I just tell you that something is the way that it is, that something occurred in my life, you're trusting me, but I'm not lying to you mm. because you trust who I am and you believe me. And if I say something so, there's an inherent promise to that. Yeah. Like, I'm not just bullshitting you. If there isn't an inherent promise, then there's no trust. Mm. And so any real relationship has inherent promise in almost everything that's said because it's about truthfulness. And... And, 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 and so the flip side of that is when you lose trust and, and truth is withheld. And that is really, really, really hard to deal with. And I think the where trust hits punk theology is the trauma side of promises being broken or failing to meet them. Mm. Yeah, that's the rubber meets the road. And you see that in recovery, too, because in recovery there's this concept of, and I don't really like it that much, but I get it, and there's something very honest about it, where when an addict says, I'm an addict. So you go into a, like a 12-step group, and you sit in that group, and, and if you're going to say anything, you're going to stand up and say, my name's Rush Shaw, and I'm an addict. And then you share whatever your life's about. And I think that the beautiful thing about that is I'm not promising you anything. Yeah. You know? I don't stand here from a point of authority. Well, it's starting with the promise of I'm telling you the truth. Yeah. I'm dropping the bullshit. So it is promising something. It's, you're starting with, I'm humbling myself and saying, this is my reality. Now let me tell you my story. I have no promises for you. And here's where I'm at. And here's just where I'm fucking I don't know that what you're talking about, Arthur, is the same thing as a promise, though. I I don't think making yourself vulnerable is necessarily a promise. I think submitting truth is a promise that it's true. Mm. I don't know. You could lie to yourself. I think that submitting truth is a way to be vulnerable and maybe expose part of yourself to where you're honest enough to say, here's where I'm at, you know? I don't know if it's a promise. I think a promise has a lot to do with intent. Mm. And I don't, like... I don't disagree with that. Yes. And I think that fits yeah. in fine with what I'm saying, because I'm saying I'm, I'm, I'm intending to convey truth to you and if and and you're accepting that when I tell you a story you assume I'm not bullshitting you 
and and lying. Yeah. And then if you find out, <clears throat> and if you find out I was on something that you thought was really vulnerable and important to me, then you'd feel like there was inherent promise in in that that was broken, which is what leads to lack of trust. I think, yeah, maybe just a semantics issue, but for some reason, I do. Because what? So let let's remove it from from just the concept of truth, and let's just say what when a promise is when someone makes you a promise and it's broken. What do you lose? Trust, Derek. Your belief that the truth you were given as a child about evolution was true, what did you lose? You could say trust. I mean, there's a lot of other things, but... Well, it had collateral damage, but I think the core thing was, now you're questioning what you were taught as a child. And I don't know that and saying what you believe is the same thing as a promise. I think that's where I'm running into. Like saying, no, no, I'm not saying like what I believe. Because but just even saying belief isn't saying it is. It's, it's believing it is the way that it is. It's, it's inherently saying, I'm not sure. Is what I believe that this is true versus this Maybe is what, true. What Derek's saying is, once you believed it, you bought the promise. Do you think of it that way? I'm just thinking in, ter- in your terms, in terms of admitting that or identifying yourself as an addict. Like I don't think I would have ever viewed that as any kind of promise. Mm. Uh, I think it's it's devoid of promises. It's it's entering into that philosophical abyss, sort of. Because you're 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 relinquishing the fact that promises exist in that in that state. You're sort of saying, "Don't bank on me. I'm a fuck up," kind of thing. Right. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's sort of a negative way of looking or a crass way of looking at it. I but I think it's an honest way of looking because if you've banked so much of your life in promises, and then those promises got exposed in the light, which is a rock bottom moment mm-hmm. in, in the addiction circles, which is a beautiful moment because it proves that you haven't been able to keep your promises. I feel like a promise has to have a payoff in the future. Mm. Like there's some intended yeah. payoff that's going to be established in the future. Like I promise to do something? Or that this will happen. Or that, yeah, or that this is. And but this, the, this the will play out this way. Going with yeah. what Russ said, the addict is promising the future as well. It's, I, you know, you're no, struggling. I think it's the opposite. I, I think it's the same where they are right then. Like in that moment. Their past builds up to this one moment, so I think it's hyper focused on the instant right there. I'll try not to relapse, but I'm, I'm an addict. I'm an addict. Yeah. Like yeah. I, yeah, and then I think in Russ's point, like that's the opposite of a promise. Like I'm an addict. I'm not dependable for anything. Yeah. Like I'll right try, now, but... like there are no promises on the table because mm-hmm. all I know is that I that I'm so dependent on this thing that. that but then I, why that I why go in to share your story? What? Why Support? to go in to share your story? But no, because that's the promise. That's the the I've done it. I've gone through this bullshit or whatever it is. But yet here I am, still making it. The promise of that's still where the theist in me shows up because that's where the higher power really comes alive. Because if there is a God, that God is bigger than me. Because all of my ego and all of my shit got me here. I think that was for, for me getting over all the chemical romances into my sex addiction where I had to talk about that because everything in me said I got promises I'm going to pay the bills I'm going to be the man I'm going to support my family and I did that and over here I was fucking around on my wife and I was just internally broken with these 
this double life and this hatred towards myself. But I, I had to, I had to get to another. I got to get back to that point. It's like almost being dragged back to it. You made promises. Couldn't keep your promises. Like you're not, your ego's not that big. So that goes back to what Steve was talking about, which is not really thinking about how you're going to deliver on a promise. Right. Because you make promises to your kids, like, no matter what happens, I'll love you forever. <laughs> I'd make that promise to my kids. I'm going to love and accept you forever. Well. Unless they're conservative Christians. I'm assuming. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I can deal with that. I almost but, feel but, like... But hold on, hold on. There is, there is something I won't. I actually have a line. Right. My kids grow up like my wife's brother. Yeah. Turn into fucking pedophiles. Fuck that shit. I'm not going to love that anymore. Yeah, that promise, it had limits. It had limits I never thought imagined, I could imagine would be possible. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't think it's possible for my daughters to grow up and be that. Mm-hmm. But the reality is we make promises that do have limits that we... Can't even think. Yeah, you know, I my wife's parents haven't ever, didn't ever think like things would get to where they're at right now in the way the family works. I feel like people that are willing to make broad promises have a poor imagination. Mm. Like they haven't sat and thought about, okay, what really could Yeah. Are they in a limited scope of social right. understanding of the world? Right, just a limited yeah. scope in general, right? Because that's yeah. what a promise is. Yeah. Where when you say, no matter what, I will do this, it's like, man, there's a lot of shit that can happen that I guarantee you're not thinking about. That, that, right that's that's, that's totally displayed by the physics uncertainty principle. Right. <clears throat> like, the better your imagination is to know exactly what could go wrong makes it... So, the idea of the uncertainty principle in physics is if there's a particle that you know something about, you don't know where it is. Right. And if you know where it is, you don't know anything about it. Mm. Like that, that is a, there's, there's a relationship where those two things can't be simultaneously known according to the uncertainty principle. So in promise, the more you think about like the possibility of it failing because of a strong imagination, the more you realize, I can't know for certain that promise is going to be real. And the less you know about those specifics, the more you can think, oh, this would totally always be real. I I can make that promise. Lack of imagination. Do you guys make a lot of promises? I don't... I'm, I'm Through the course of this conversation, I'm thinking, I, I don't know if I make a lot of promises. I tend not to, but I'm a pretty conservative person with a dark imagination. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to promise, like, when it comes to making um, statements and that type of thing. Yeah. Um, That's why I was be interesting it to, to trust and truth. Mm. And you know, losing trust is that I think there's an, I think there are inherent promises in the way we interact with, in social interaction. I think, like implied, not stated. Yeah. yeah, it would be interesting to re-examine now, like what my ideal marriage vows would be. Exactly. Um, and one like, would I allow? It yeah, to don't be? do that. No. <laughs> <laughs> but what like I allow it to be? I. I mean, I do when I don't allow it to be so romantic like it's set up, right? Mm. You're going like, to renew your vows? I mean, summer. basically the idea of romance is, <laughs> is having a poor imagination of all the horrible things that can go wrong, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just going to gla- glaze over the top of all the nasty shit and just look at the nice things. Mm-hmm. Um, romance is fleeting. It's something that happens in a moment. Romance is like a date night. And it's nice, but you know you can't live there. Yeah, no. Um, so renew your vows this summer. Make vows you can live with. 
right. we'll, we'll record that as an episode. Yeah, it might be interesting. I have to talk to my wife about it. She wouldn't be as upset by it as I think you would think she would be. I think she might find it interesting. And it what happens? Like, what happens though when you like you have nothing? <laughs> like, 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 like your imagination goes wild, nothing. and you start like thinking. And I don't think you know. I'm. I would probably be comfortable saying, "I'll fight for this marriage harder than I've ever fought for anything in my life." Not will you know? That's not impressing anything in the future. It's just taking the scope of the past, and then and then making a a commitment. That's a really beautiful to, vow, though. Um, and there's all kinds of holes that I could poke in that. I was gonna say I can, yeah. Well, yes, so but but that's closer. But that's harder. closer to. It's still romantic, but it's a negotiated romantic that I'm much more comfortable with. Like, like there is some value in the romance of still shooting for something um, that's difficult and may not turn out the way that you want it to. There's some value in that and shooting for an ideal. But also, there's, yeah, I, I just don't really like uh, absolute ideals. Isn't that what, so we were talking earlier, isn't that the idea of those vows that maybe you can shoot holes in is that you're expressing intent? Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's the value in them, right. whether they're whether they're literally fulfillable or not, right. <laughs> or whether things change. You're professing your intent at that time, right? And all the convictions of a 22 year old boy who knew yeah. everything yeah, about yeah. God. And your hearts is just exploding. I was 25. I was and it totally had a hard on that lasted <laughs> yes, longer than four hours. In 2000, I'm a man. I'm 25. In 2013, I really loved the Seahawks. <laughs> I think they were going to go all the way. People painted their cars. If you notice, the cars that were painted with all the Seahawks stuff now are kind of dirty. <laughs> to be fair, they went as far as you could possibly go without winning. <laughs> That's a good point. I don't know how it came to the Seahawks, but... You did that. Yeah. I did. I know. I just brought it way up to the surface right here because it just got way you got uncomfortable. uncomfortable. got too uncomfortable for me talking about hey, the vows. What were you going to talk about? With what? You put a pin in it. You're gonna hold on. I did. On I it. put a pin in it. John said something about what were you saying, John? I was talking. Now you're trying to have John remember what yeah, yeah. you're supposed Never to mind. remember. My, 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 my memory pegged back. I, I was talking about. I was talking about some of my interactions with Thanks the work of Peter Rollins and this idea that the promise like is given that God fills the void, but you know maybe <laughs> the real way to think about Christianity <laughs> in a healthier, more honest way. Is God doesn't fill the void, but kind of shatters it, and that frees you to, to live really freely and authentically. Yeah. And you had he some thought when I, I was dumped it in his lap. Wait, stop! There's only one conversation. We can't. I can't think straight. I'm trying no, to listen. This, to this is cross talk, dear. It's cross talk. <laughs> yeah, you're recording this. Cross talk. <laughs> so 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 okay. <laughs> So Peter Rollins <laughs> and. And and what now? Go, go again. What was in the hookah? If you uh, could see their faces, that would be yeah, yeah. some exasperation. This okay. is losing you lost it. Run. You no, I didn't it. lose it. I'm, I'm still here. You dropped You're the bringing the it back to life. I was trying to listen it's to these two guys. Shut up. At the same time. <laughs> I I'm ADHD. Like, I'm listening to four conversations. Hold on, John's making a promise. I promise. I've got like six annoying. screens going. <laughs> anyway. If you're still listening, thank you. And I am, you. I am a yes. promise keeper. Why? 
that, that God fills the void. Okay. Is the promise. Yeah. Okay. And maybe a more honest way to think about it is God doesn't fill the void. God shatters the void. Uh-huh. That gives you freedom. Right. Back to the zero. God divides void. by zero. <laughs> <laughs> uh, or, you know, maybe it's using God as a metaphor or whatever, but I mean, just the idea. I'm that, talking about the idea of shattering the void. Oh. Shattering the void, yeah. Dividing by zero. <coughs> yeah, yeah, awesome. yeah. Well, there's something to that. Like, I think that's, that's beautiful because I think that we, ch- some of us, chase Math the void. That's one of the reasons I don't, I don't like the concept of rock bottom that much. Because I've met people that were seeking it. <laughs> I met people that sought out rock bottom like it was some kind of Everyone's goal, like it was a right. fucking goal. Like if I could maybe get hit by a bus, that will fix my alcoholism. It's a milestone. No, that, I, don't yeah, think like, se- no I don't think they're I don't seeking think rock bottom. I think they're seeking... Um, in, they're seeking the void or something. They're, they're looking no, it's a bypassing it. Yeah, well, they're seeking rock bottom because they they believe the stories that when other people hit it, they change yeah, their yeah, life. They change their and life. so they're like, I'm not at the place where John's my life point, is ready to change, so I want us to hit rock yeah. bottom. And to John's point, higher power says, no, I'm breaking that void and calling you into relationship, dare I say. Rollins <laughs> uses the, uh, the analogy of Adam and Eve and the void being uh-huh. the, the tree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They lack the tree fills it. I used to romanticize drugs. Speaking of romantics, like I used to, if I cooked a rock that was like almost perfectly white, like a little snowball, like I would just, uh, oh my god, that is awesome. Like there was some part of me that really, really geeked out on that. It's cocaine. Okay. What does it have to do with? So you take cocaine and you. Yeah. What does that have to do with? with He's talking about the romance. Because we're getting back to the. We're getting back to the void. What made it white? What made it white? If you if you cooked it pure, like if you didn't have a dirty spoon, or and so we would use, we would use ammonia <laughs> to cook fucking crack rocks. No, seriously. So you're getting to the void. Like this is, and and, I, and part of me knew that if I smoked this whole thing, I could kill me. That's not the void. That's no, I is the void. Because <laughs> <laughs> the void would yeah. no, but the void would kill me. And there was and a nice ru- there that. was a nice rush to that seeking adrenaline. Derek and I were talking about this. Yeah, wish I had more of it. Hmm. That's why some people play sports <clears throat> or, or jump off cliffs or to uh, fill the void. Yeah. Flesh out more of that Adam and Eve thing. You were going yeah. somewhere that they were filling. They thought that if they could just partake of the truth. Right. That that would fill the void, right? Yeah, to be like God. Okay, can to I be like God? Can I and play the conservative Christian? I thought that created the void. So, I thought they yeah, didn't know so it existed until Christian. they had the knowledge. So they were perfect. God made them, and they voidless. were perfect, voidless. They weren't obviously they not. No, no, they can't be seeking to fill a void if they're perfect. So why did they want the tree of good and evil? The see, that's good. You're asking because they were tricked. That's what you need to do with your conservative friends, yes. punk theology listeners, is to ask a question because. Why are you derailing this? The, I know. Shut up. Because I'm, I'm, trying, this. I'm trying to get <laughs> I'm narrating. I feel like a play by play, like I'm doing play by play. Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, what's the question again? Did, I wasn't Adam and Eve were created perfect. No, no, no. <laughs> I have Adam and Eve. Yeah. Question. One view is that they were not. This is the traditional view. They, they weren't created perfect, they were created innocent. And yeah. they were still supposed to grow. They were like children. They, they, they weren't necessarily innocent. God said they were good. It was good. Doesn't mean perfect. Different thing. We, 
you know, the, the, you inherit that narrative from Protestantism, Evangelicalism, they're perfect. No, they're innocent. They're still supposed to grow in knowledge and understanding as they walk with God in the cool of the day or whatever anthropomorphic thing you want to use that the Bible employs. But, but yeah, but so if they're innocent, does that question still hold? Because innocence implies... I don't know if innocence implies lack. I guess no, maybe it, it does. That the, To me it does. As I'm still playing this conservative Christian okay. for you. So it does lack the... They're not perfect. We, hold on, let me start over. If they lacked, why'd they want to eat it at all? Why was it even attractive? Curiosity killed the cat, yo. Because <laughs> they didn't have the knowledge of good and evil. Because, let's be real, the tree, like... Isn't a See, fucking tree, right? Saying that's why it's hard to play the. <coughs> so because they have to it, run out of the room at some point. If it's about the knowledge of good and evil, they didn't have it. They ate it. Then they had it. Now they're shameful. I guess where I would yeah. go with it is the. So the question Christians is, talk about what does that really mean? Were they sinless, or do they just not know the difference between good and evil? Because it didn't matter. So the the the, the reason we the, the reason so much of Christianity is said that they're <laughs> sinless is because it didn't matter that they knew the difference between good and evil because they couldn't do evil is the implication, right? But yet they could. They because could. They did. <laughs> and isn't really? that isn't that the second? Because they did the thing God said yes. not to. Yes. And that's where Tillich would say, the second serpent was the Pharisees. Because oh, so the Pharisees, really? yeah, yeah. So he would say that the the second serpent was the Pharisees, because the Pharisees. Who was the first serpent? The first serpent was the serpent in in the garden who told the Adam one. and Eve was they were lacking. Apple? No, it was it was. So oh, I thought you meant like, like later on when the serpent's talking to God. I didn't realize you were. Fast what if it was a red apple? New Testament. If it was green. Uh, it, was, it wasn't no. a fucking apple. It's fruit. <laughs> no, but listen. So the the second serpent. The fucking picture in my Bible. Do you get what I'm saying? <laughs> John gets what I'm saying. The second serpent is the Pharisees who are yeah. who are setting up a new tree. Yes. The new tree is moralism and legalism, and it's saying that if you can just be good enough, then God will give you blessings, or your crops will be, you know, if things will go your way. But I'm bored. And then Jesus shows up and says, that's bullshit. Jesus shows up and says, that's bullshit. So what Rollins is saying, as I understand him, is that void is there, so don't try and fill it when you're on the street yeah. in North Everett. What's the void? Whatever it is for What's you. What's Rollins' is void? What do you think Rollins' is void is? That's speculation. What's your void? Yeah, yeah that's, that's, a good, that's a good question. Well, I'm asking him because he's that's trying to say, yeah, say that's speculation. It. So what, do you, what, what is it that you're not trying to fill? I think he answered it though. That's the that's the thing. Is what are you, what is it? It's an Can't individual thing. I don't know. My void's loneliness. Mm. My right now, good. like the and it, and I think I, my void is more than just that. But the most of me is that's what it is right now. Is mm. loneliness, and it's it's been interesting because as I continue to explore that and accept that that is my void it doesn't hurt as much to not fill it and then I also find that I that I'm actually filling it with all of the relationships that I have that I'm not lonely mm. so I just sleep by myself are, so are you lonely or do you just have the perception that you should be because you are alone correct 
That was an or. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you answered, though, because that's yes. honest. That's true. Both. I get that. Uh, I feel most, that. Most of the latter would be the, I think that I should be with somebody. I, I mean, I was for the first 30-some years of my life, right? But yeah. you have your mother, and then I dated a whole bunch of girls. And then I had a wife. I mean, I was always with somebody. Somebody was always taking care of whatever the needs were the I presented. It's a different type of loneliness, you know, that longing for a partner, a spouse, yeah. or whatever, versus friends or relationships. It's that's a different kind. Yeah. That that's real, dude. That's yeah. So the other Rollins, not Peter Rollins, but Henry Rollins, has a lot to say about loneliness, and it's pretty beautiful the way he kind of works it out because yeah. that's one of his things too. Is he's had a hard time with relationships and romantic relationships, but he really he's. He, and he's older now, and he's kind of really settled into the beauty of loneliness. And that that if you can just be alone with yourself in a room with your record player or whatever it is that you enjoy, there's a wholeness to that that no one who's in a relationship with a spouse or something like that can 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 touch. He goes he goes I embrace the the void of loneliness, and it's beautiful. So I think he's humans wired for it. I think he's uniquely wired for it. Yeah, I, I don't think that's not true. everybody can do that. Yeah, I don't think humans that's true, are but biologically I think it's beautiful to get there. programmed to pursue. Yeah, yeah. And so the thing is to identify as soon as you identify, and then fulfill an identified void, you create another one. Mm-hmm. Sure, because we're programmed to pursue the next thing not we, we we are not biologically and chemically in our brain programmed to be content mm. not for very long not very long yeah. yeah but like in a moment like not very long yeah like so it just doesn't last like there's always there's always that hunger of like i want to achieve the next thing so if you're a go-getter you're always going for the next thing if you're if, if, if you're a depressive recluse, you're always. If, if one thing that you were focusing on gets filled, then you just pick another to be depressed and reclusive about. And we just replace and replace and replace that. And that's why the, the concept of the void and the lack being infinitely fillable is true. But I don't know that it has anything to do with some super huge spiritual truth that Jesus fills. I think it just has to do with that's the way our brain chemically works. We aren't. Designed to be satisfied. You're human. We're, we're, we are biologically made yeah. to to survive, and that survival means that once you achieve one goal, you need to accomplish another for your own survival. And the problem is, we live in now abundance, but our brains still work like we're in survival mode. Yeah. And that's why we're a, we're the richest country that's ever existed, and we're all still fucking miserable. <laughs> yeah. We we consume the most antidepressants of any other country, and we're the richest country. We can't be content. Yeah. It's not in our chemical makeup. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's a great place to land the plane. And to land the plane, I'm going to tell you a brilliant deduction that I got from this conversation. Okay. So, uh, I have a theory now that the reason we thought it, you ate an apple is because some dude was writing a children's book and needed an A word. And okay. Genesis 3 is the first story. So he's like, fuck, like there, the snake doesn't work. Eve doesn't work. Like, I guess I could do Adam, but that's like, you know, like... So Apple, like, like, it's got to be Apple. So that's my theory. Someone landed on Apple, uh, made a children's book in the fifties, and that's why we all think it's an Apple. Turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> this episode also landed on Apple. <laughs>
Oh, yeah. There will be a continuation of all of that fucking shit right there. I think the worst time to have a heart attack is during a game of charades. That's a huge bitch! Thanks for listening to Punk Theology. Don't forget to subscribe, like to join us in having more ears hear this punk sound. Please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you may hear this fucking podcast. Punk Theology is the property of Digital Audio Project, a limited liability corporation, who is responsible for its content. Don't kick it out! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh.